There was an idea. Dormammu, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Baskin Robbins always finds out. I for the faster way. Are you Tony's stank? I am Iron Man. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assemble Required, an MCU retrospective. The show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie, episode by episode. I am your host, Eduardo, and I got a, a big old group of Battlestar Galactica. I don't know why I said Galactica. Battlestar, <laughs> Captain America, uh, uh, Isaiah Bradley folks with us, uh, Super Soldiers. Chris, Robbie, and Peaches are here. Yay! <laughs> I got a big old group of specifically named people here. (laughs) We're off to a great start. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not confused at all. Just like Captain America. Yeah. What's going on, fellas? You guys ready to talk some Falcon and the Winter Soldier? I feel much much better about this episode than last week's. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to... uh, Talk about one we enjoyed. We probably will go for two hours this time. It could happen. Oh, it does happen. (laughs) (laughs) Usually. Well, today we're going to be talking about episode two, The Star-Spangled Man, and that's directed by Kari Skogland and written by Michael Castellane. 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 Wilson. Castellian. Castaway, Um, Tom Hanks, Wilson. I don't know. Did we want to talk about my homework now or... Yeah, go for it. Yeah, all right. So I did some uh, some comic reading uh, over the past couple days uh, that I wouldn't have anticipated I needed to do. But this episode introduced a character named Isaiah Bradley, and we will certainly get into what he means for this show uh, when we get to that point in, in, in the episode today. But he debuted in a comic series, limited series called Truth, Red, White, and Black. And it was a very interesting comic to read. Uh, it was written by robert morales uh was the name and the art was done by uh uh, kyle baker and first of all i love the art in this so many comic books have kind of a samey superhero look to them this one was very stylized the characters were exaggerated uh almost i don't want to say cartoony but it was definitely a a heightened you know exaggeration of reality and and i really enjoyed it but it was a very interesting comic. It was a uh, six issue, uh, seven, yeah, six issues. And it tells the story of during World War II. After the super, uh, super soldier serum was lost after the assassination of Dr. Erskine, and they had only been able to successfully uh, make Steve Rogers a super soldier, Captain America, the military intelligence organization decided that they wanted to try to recreate it and what they did was they took a bunch of black soldiers a bunch of african-american soldiers and started experimenting on them and it gets really disturbing what like one of them blows up like it actually they overdose him with it and his body explodes um they uh, another guy is already kind of a sociopath and it just amplifies that. Uh, another man dies in transit uh, toward uh, to Europe and it's a really kind of a, a 
powerful moment because as he's dying, first of all, they're below deck on a ship being transported across the ocean. So the symbolism, I mean, right there uh, should remind you of, of the slave trade. And as he's dying, he hallucinates his ancestors um, in the traditional African clothes and it you know it's it's a you know a sad moment but the only one who ends up surviving is isaiah bradley and it, as we come to find out this story is being told to steve rogers in the modern day he has never heard of isaiah bradley he did not realize that there was an, this is what they call him they call him the black captain america he didn't know that they experimented on people to bring back the uh the, the serum didn't know that there was a success and what happens was Steve Rogers was supposed to go on a mission behind enemy lines with these people uh, who uh, who had you know been enhanced, and at this point Isaiah is the only one left. Uh, Captain America gets caught up in a typhoon, so he's not able to make it in time. So Isaiah ends up stealing the Captain America outfit and going in himself uh, to what they're doing is they're trying to liberate. Uh, it's a concentration camp. And I meant to say this earlier, but uh, next few minutes going to be talking about some like deep kind of disturbing stuff, both in the comics and in history. Um, so Isaiah ends up in this concentration camp. I forget exactly who it is he's trying to rescue, but while he's there, he's trying to rescue all the uh, prisoners as well. And he ends up caught in a gas chamber. Kidnap. He survives because he's enhanced. Hitler gets him. Like, like he's actually, he wakes up, he's in an office with Adolf Hitler and, uh, uh, Herman Goebbels. And they're trying to convince him to join their side. And they're pointing out, well, look at, look at what the Americans think of people like you. And he's like, no, I, I'm not going to join you. My wife would kill me is what he says to Hitler, which is a great moment. And then Hitler and Goebbels start talking back and forth in German. So he's not understanding them. Uh, revealing that, yo, hey, yeah, Hitler was super racist. Go, go figure. And they're talking about sending him to Mengele and all this stuff. And uh, he ends up. These the official story was that he died. He had not died. Steve manages to track him down. There's a lot. I'm, I'm leaving out a lot of stuff here. Uh, the um, Steve tracks him down, and it comes to find out that he survived. He made it back home. But the effects of the serum on him, because again, this wasn't the perfect serum that they used on Steve Rogers. It ended up, he's aging very slowly, but his mind has pretty much reverted to being a child. Uh, so it's really kind of a tragic ending. But Steve finds him, and what he's done is he's actually found the suit. Like, he's gotten the suit that Bradley wore on that mission, and he's returned it to him. Because as far as Steve is concerned, this man is also captain america and he deserves to have this suit back with him and it's you know it's a very it's it, it ends up being kind of a sad story uh and i also started reading a, a story from a few years later called the crew and i'm not done with it yet but the issue i just read concerns the son that isaiah never realized he had josiah bradley uh who has become a muslim cleric in brooklyn in an area called little mogadishu which is not a real place in Brooklyn, but that, and he's, he goes by Josiah X and the reveal is that, Hey, he has a Captain America suit too, because he was eventually found and experimented on and everything. Uh, so very interesting stuff. And it, 
unfortunately ties in with some real world history. Um, I was reading about this today, uh, not long enough to become an expert on it, but as I'm reading the article about it, it was called the uh, Tuskegee Syphilis Study. Uh, it's known by a couple other names, sometimes just the Tuskegee Experiment. Um, the Tuskegee Study of Untreated Syphilis in the African-American Male. Started in 1932, and it was run by the United States Public Health Service and the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. And the purpose of the study was to observe the natural history of untreated syphilis. And there were 600 men involved in the study. What it did was they went down to Tuskegee University, which was then called the Tuskegee Institute, uh, which is a historically black college in Alabama. They enrolled a total of 600 men. All of them were poor African-American sharecroppers from Macon County, Alabama. 399 of them had latent syphilis. 201 were not infected. And as an incentive for participation in the study, they were promised free medical care. But that was a lie. They did not give them any medical care. Uh, they never informed the, uh, any of the subjects of their diagnosis. Uh, they disguised placebos and they used ineffective methods and diagnostic procedures as treatment. And they were told that the study was only going to last six months. It ended in 1972, 40 years later, only because a whistleblower revealed what was happening. So this went on into the 1970s that they are giving these men incorrect treatments, not telling them that they have syphilis. Uh, as a result of them, many of them died. Um, uh, there were, I believe it was like 40 wives were infected with syphilis as a result. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to find the, uh, the exact number. Yeah. Um, the victims of the study included numerous men who died of syphilis, 40 wives who contracted the disease, 19 children born with congenital syphilis, all because the CDC and, and the public health service lied to these men, didn't tell them they had syphilis. When World War II happened in the middle of this, and uh, 256 of them registered for the draft, registering for the draft, they're diagnosed with syphilis. The researchers stepped in and said, uh, you know, they were told you need to get treatment for this. The researchers stepped in and made it so that they did not receive treatment. And they prevented them from chances for a cure. By the 1940s, penicillin had become like the de facto most used treatment for syphilis. These men were denied penicillin. Uh, just the more I read about this, just like the sadder I got, you know, that these men, you know, had their lives ruined and their families had their lives ruined all for an unethical study that also was never going to actually prove what, or, or, you know, give them usable data because the whole thing was, oh, we want to not treat them and see what happens. But they did use treatments. They just used ineffective treatments. So even that nullified the study anyway. Not, so the real world consequences of it, uh, you know, there have been several laws passed as a result of that about informed consent for people who are uh, participating in medical studies, a lot of uh, ethical rules now baked into the law. Um, 
cultural ramifications are huge. Um, a lot of people, and I actually, before I read it up with this, this is what I thought it was too. A, a, a majority of people polled believed that the men were intentionally uh, infected with syphilis. That was not the actual study. Um, it somehow wasn't that, but was still just as bad, if not worse. And I, I don't know how that was possible, but they managed to pull it off. And uh, you've maybe if you're following the news lately, uh, obviously a lot of talk about vaccines out there. And you might have heard people talk about how in a lot of African-American communities, there is skepticism about the vaccine. That can all be traced back to this. And having read about this, I understand that skepticism now. You know, I, I admit that I would always be like, oh, why aren't people, you know, you know, just jumping at the chance to get this vaccine? And I get it now because, I mean, when someone tells you who, the, who they are, believe them, right? And yeah, you know, things have definitely changed. There have been numerous reforms uh, since then, but I understand the lingering distrust. Absolutely. And you know, it was just kind of awful to read, uh, you know the researchers talking about oh these men they're uh, you know because of their race they're less intelligent like just flat out saying stuff like that and just treating them like animals to be observed and you know the the number of families that they devastated as a result of this uh, just you know it was hard to read so that definitely the parallels to be drawn there in the marvel universe you know this this is what science fiction can do is when you take a real world issue and put a little bit of a twist on it to explore so super soldier serum in the marvel universe they you know they kind of use that as an allegorical comparison and they even made some explicit references to the tuskegee experiment in in the crew comic that i was reading this morning um but yeah it's uh so that's the kind of historical background I have in mind uh, later on when we talk about Isaiah Bradley. So sorry to start this off with such a downer of, of American history there, but uh, I just thought it was important context to have. Um, yeah. So that's, that's my homework for the week. Well said. Well, we open in a high school football locker room where John Walker of the U.S. Army is slowly unzipping a suit bag with a new Captain America outfit inside. A woman we can assume is his wife or girlfriend asks if he's nervous, and Walker tells her he's not, but expresses their massive expectations on him across the world, and he doesn't want to fail them. Can we assume that could it could be like his sister? I think she's mm, um, not, not the way they kissed. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. You don't. They kissed like know this. They like uh, put their pinkies together and then they kiss their own palms. Yeah, that could be like a sister thing. Like, yeah. I don't know. Talking about sneaking into the locker room to see him before games didn't sound like a sister thing to me. Yeah, I guess you're no. right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I believe she is uh, credited as Olivia Walker in the credits. So, okay, I'm gonna assume wife. wife. Yeah, still could be sister. I mean, I'm still <laughs> holding yeah. Hey, and Captain America is gonna be shocked by that, and everyone else is gonna be like, "What's the big deal, bro?" Oh God. <laughs> Also, laying it down now, is she dying? Uh, I could see that happening. I hope not, I because that's such a fridgy trope. I don't, I don't like it. But yes. I don't think with the arc they seem to be going with that she will... I don't think they will feel the need to make that a plot point. Could be wrong. Yeah, there's, there's enough going on without giving John Walker a tragic dead wife storyline. 
Walker's friend, Lamar Hoskins, also of the Army, stops in and they talk about how John was tagged to replace Steve Rogers as Captain America two weeks ago. These are my awards, Mother, from Army. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, That's what I thought. R.I.P. Oh, yeah. John complains about having to do meet and greets and says he just wants to go out and be a hero, but Lamar reminds him the image created is part of the Captain America role. With a marching band playing Star Spangled Man with a plan, Walker is interviewed on Good Morning America as the new Captain America in the middle of high school of this high school football field. I need that recording, by the way. <laughs> the interview establishes that Walker was a highly decorated counterterrorism agent in the army and was picked for the role based on his physics psychic physics tests, physical tests. We'll just physical, say we'll call yeah. them physical tests. Guys, uh, Easter egg. Physical challenge. Did you know John Walker says the phrase, Good Morning America, which is the same name of the program that is being recorded during his interview? <laughs> and I just need to point Easter out. Easter egg. And I know I, I told the three of you, but I was watching one of those stupid Easter egg videos. It just, not by choice. It just showed up as a forced video on, I think it was Twitter. And I saw it Watch for it. a few seconds. Yeah. And... That literally was an Easter egg. That literally was one of their Easter eggs. Except they then went further and said that Ronald Reagan's campaign uh, slogan in 1984 was, it is a new morning in America. And they said, this is very similar to what John Walker says when he says, good morning, America. And John Walker is a right-wing conservative. So this seems to be a reference to Ronald Reagan. They even acknowledged the Good Morning America thing and then just plowed right into that Easter egg. (laughs) I saw right after this other one, another one that said an Easter egg was that John Walker's character in the comics is also from a town in Georgia. (laughs) You mean like, you know, that's just the source material. (laughs) It, it, It reminds me of the Easter egg in the first Captain America movie where the guy that becomes Captain America has the same name as the guy in the comics did. (laughs) it's wild this podcast could turn into us just trashing on those easter egg people and i wouldn't care that much i would (laughs) i'd feel kind of good about it yeah anyway sorry for interrupting i just thought that was an important easter egg to point out i'm not sorry (laughs) john walker's weird man uh he looks weird as captain america it's just a and i once i don't think this is by mistake. I don't think... I think it is by design that he looks strange as Captain America. You guys remember when they first revealed the um, the Square Enix Avengers game? Mm-hmm. And we all saw it and we're like, these all look really weird. And they look similar, but not the same. And it's weird. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's what John Walker looks like. He... It just looks weird. I also wanted to touch on... And I didn't write this down, but this will be fun. Um, so, I am an unabashed, unashamed anime fan. And there is an anime out there right now called My Hero Academia. And it is a, an anime based on the sort of superhero craze that the West uh, has been on the past couple, you know, decades. Uh, <laughs> and um, in it, there is a hero called All Might. And he is sort of, they call him the symbol of peace because he is like the last line of defense. He's like the most important figure there and very quickly at the very beginning of that show you find out that he's not going to be around for forever 
And so uh, they have to try to find a new symbol because if not, you know, like terror will take over the world and people need something and someone to believe in. And it's like weird how much it is mirroring what is happening right here. Um, so I thought that that was kind of a cool thing that I, uh, I'm i seeing this story play out because they're in the middle of telling a story very similar to this in the uh, hmm. the anime right now. So it's fun to watch that and also watch this and then tell kind of a similar story. Sounds Easter eggy. Yeah, so many <laughs> Easter eggs. He's also really fun because he's like really based off of American things. Like um, he studied out in America, like basically like for like superhero college. And then he comes back to Japan and he's all like Americafied and like all of his attack moves. He just says a state and then he says smash afterwards or he will say a city and then he'll say smash. <laughs> So he goes like Detroit smash or like New York smash. And then one time he did his ultimate attack and it was United States of smash. (laughs) And it sounds really stupid, but the United States of smash is one of the coolest scenes I've ever seen in any work of fiction. Like it is that like it is Is very, very hit combo. Please tell me it's a 50 hit combo. No, it's one giant punch. That was very, very cool oh okay dang uh i'll make you guys watch it after the unless you guys are planning to watch the show which i don't think any of you are um i'll make you guys watch it after this it's very cool if someone recommended it to me on twitter once so I've been i still have to watch the other one you recommended to me on twitter speaking of so i don't remember which one i recommended to you the horror one jujutsu kaisen i think oh that's one yeah 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 that one's cool i think that's what you said that is yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Lots of fun anime to watch right now. If anybody wants some anime recommendations, hit me up. Hmm. ABCD Eduardo one on Twitter. Uh, as he explains <laughs> that he just wants to be like Steve Rogers and make the world safer, an angry Bucky Barnes watches the interview from the floor of his home. Sam Wilson meets with Officer Torres in an Air Force hangar prepping for a mission. We did talk about Torres being a significant character last time, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, he's a half bird, yes. half vampire, half man person. <laughs> As they start to leave, Bucky appears, antagonizing Sam over giving up the shield. Sam tells Bucky he doesn't have the time and explains the Flag Smashers. Wilson says he thinks the Flag Smashers are part of the Big Three, androids, aliens, and wizards. Uh, When he first said the Big Three, I thought he was talking about Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor, and I was like, wait, what? (laughs) And now it makes more sense. I also didn't... I know this was like a scene that was online like it was like a one that was released earlier like before the series came out and i intentionally Mm -hmm. didn't watch any of that stuff Mm -hmm. so this was fresh to me when i first watched it and it was very funny i kind of thought of it like um eduardo you watched cora obviously i kind of thought of it like the triads i thought that's what he was talking about when he first said the big three like there were three warring mafia style groups out there i mean these thoughts that we had lasted half a second because he immediately said <laughs> what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, oh, the big three. What does that mean? Androids, aliens, and wizards. It's, that whole exchange was so good. Uh, Bucky angrily insists that's not a thing and that wizards don't even exist. He explains Doctor Strange is a sorcerer and surprises Sam when he references Gandalf because he read The Hobbit on his first publication in 1937. <laughs> Robbie, this was hilarious. It was very funny, and I will agree with the sentiment before you even say it. This episode was much better than the first episode. 
yeah, it was a way better episode. Um, and I'm glad we all kind of agree on that. Not that I'm too surprised. But it happened fast. Uh, last week, Chris had said they better get these guys together quickly. And I remember we kind of discussed that there was maybe a sense that they'd probably get them back together quickly. But maybe this is going to be one of those arcs where they slowly bring them together over the course of the show. And they did not do that at all. It was just suddenly, bam, okay, they're together. It was almost immediately in this episode. No fanfare or anything. Just, you know, here you are, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So I think it was better for that. Their chemistry is phenomenal. Like, like way better than it, I remember it being in the films, which it was entertaining in the films. But this was very good. This conversation uh, that you were just referencing immediately put me all in on this series. Uh, which, of course, I was looking forward to because it was Marvel. But I think this sort of showed us what this is going to be. This sort of uh, uh, buddy cop thing that was intensely amusing. I was howling this entire conversation. And it was... You, Eduardo, last week said that you trust that Marvel is going to produce a good um, product, even if we weren't necessarily... Uh, excited with the first episode and i don't think any of us disagreed with you on that but there was still you know i'm sure still some hesitancy from all of us on is this actually going to deliver and i think that hesitancy went out of the window very quickly in this episode and pretty much in this scene and then it just continued to be entertaining from there um and then like you said the 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 gandalf reference specifically and uh wizards being sorcerers without a hat or sorcerers being wizards without a hat was uh uh, very entertaining and then it just went from there yeah i don't think anybody disagrees with what you said like i think this episode is absolutely better uh i think even after like you said after last week i said i knew marvel was going to do something but there's a difference between marvel doing something that's like good but it's like very marvel and marvel trying to do something a little different i don't think this is as different as wandavision but i do think it is a little different i think i like the story we're telling with bucky and um and falcon i like this this sort of buddy cop type type role and i also like a lot of the themes that they're kind of playing with here so it'll be interesting to see how it goes going forward bucky insists on accompanying sam on the mission despite protest in Munich, the two find their way into a warehouse that Red Wing tracked the flash ma Flag Smashers to. Say Flag Smashers ten times fast. They survey the area while the terse bickering continues. They observe the Flag Smashers moving heavy boxes into trucks with their bare hands. When they notice they think is a hostage in the back of one of the trucks, they spring into action and chase the trucks as they leave. I really liked the line, I have a metal arm. Yeah, and I can fly. Who gives a shit? <laughs> 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 seeing their contrasting style seeing how bucky is still operating like he's an assassin even if he doesn't have the end goal of assassination it's stealth and infiltration um whereas falcon you know first of all he's got red wing which gives him detective mode vision right. uh and uh <laughs> you know he's I don't want to say he's flashier because that's not right, but it's definitely more he's got his gadgets, he's got his wings, and he's going to use that to his advantage. Doesn't need, you know, he, he only needs to be stealthy as long as he needs to be to get the information, and then he's going to fly in and do his Falcon thing because who, who can combat that? And unfortunately, the answer is super soldiers. <laughs> it also feels like Bucky is like resistant to technology and 
likes to do for a man with a metal arm he really doesn't like you know like technological he just wants to do things the old-fashioned way by punching them real hard old man i really would love for them to lean more into the man out of time thing with him and i know he's a little bit different because he's seen bits and pieces of like every decade (laughs) since the 40s um but it would be you know kind of fun to kind of like they did with steve and the movie winter soldier you know having a little bit of that oh this is uh you know and, and we got that a bit with the the hobbit line which i thought was very funny just as a reminder that yeah no he did most his formative years were in the first half of the 20th century on the trucks they realized the flash ma- flag smashers are moving vaccines but also realize the hostage is actually another flag smasher when she throws bucky through the air a fight on top of the two semi start with Walker and Hoskins now suited up as Battlestar jumping in from a helicopter while Red Wing is destroyed. The Flag Smashers, all of whom are super soldiers, knock Sam and Bucky from the truck and are easily able to beat Walker and Hoskins. The Walker pulls a gun and shoots one of the Smashers. I like that fight scene um, just fine. Specifically, my favorite thing about it, though, was when Walker throws the Captain America shield and uh bucky catches it and hands it back to him i was like oh that's cool yes bucky catches it with his regular hand Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know just to show off he didn't Mm -hmm. have to use his vibranium hand for that also not a fan of john walker for obvious reasons but him throwing the shield for uh hoskins to land on that was pretty cool i agree Mm -hmm. like that was something steve could have done so it shows that he's even though he's not enhanced he's operating kind of not on the same level as Steve, but you can see why they picked this guy to be the new right. Captain America. Because he can do shield-throwing tricks. Yeah. <laughs> After losing to the Flag Smashers, Walker and Hoskins pick up Sam and Bucky in a Jeep and try to convince them to join forces. Walker reveals they were tracking Red Wing and are helping the Global Reparation... Repatriation. Council. Repatriation Council. Yeah. Put down violent revolutionaries <laughs> who could distrust the, distrust the attempts to create a smooth transition for those who were de-blipped. Though Walker tries to buddy up the two Avengers and insists he's not trying to be Steve Rogers, Bucky is annoyed by the name Battlestar, <laughs> and Sam is bothered when Walker calls him Cap's wingman and both leave. Yeah. Um, the the Stop the car. Battlestar, stop the car. <laughs> that so was so good. <laughs> I, what I thought was going to happen was... Um, I don't know if we brought this up already or if we will, but in the comics, uh, Battlestar was Bucky Five, and yes. so I thought he was going to say, "I'm the new Bucky," and that was going to be. But <laughs> well, I think it's interesting that he was Bucky for like five issues, I think, uh, and then somebody pointed out that Bucky is awfully close to something that has been used as a racial slur oh. um, against black men for a long time. I'll I'll say it because it's, it's not Buck apparently used in certain contexts is a racial slur, and one of the black writers at Marvel uh, pointed out that that problem, and, and they're like, and we're going to call him Battlestar now. Stop the car. Yeah, it was uh, it was uh, Dwayne McDuffie uh, who who pointed. Out. I just wanted to give uh, good on them to immediately go right. Oh shit, and change it and not try yeah. to like back like defend it. Yeah, you know, that's, that's the thing about Marvel. I mean, going back to Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, they've always, you know, you know, tried to be forward-looking. Not always, you know, not always ex- executing on the highest level, 
but they always wanted to do right uh, in in stories of representation and things like that. Um, I'm going to plug a, a documentary on Disney Plus that's out right now, and I can't remember if we talked about it before, but it's uh, called, I forget if it's Behind the Mask or Inside the Mask, but it just released a few weeks ago on Disney Plus. And it's a really interesting look at identity in Marvel Comics, both like the secret identity thing, but then also uh, from like a representation standpoint. And uh, a lot of interviews with comic writers and artists and editors. And it's really interesting. So I, I recommend you take a look at that. Yeah. And there's one point where Battlestar was like, maybe it was bad. I don't remember if it was Battlestar or Walker that was like, you guys were getting your butt kicks till we showed up. But like, what did they do? Yeah, your butt kicked too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a weird line. <laughs> then we were all getting our butt kicked together. Yeah. Wow. We'll make a great team. <laughs> <laughs> You could teach me how to Captain America, please. Yeah, like like they got one good look in when Battlestar swung from the helicopter and kicked the person off the uh, uh, off off the truck. They get your one surprise attack, and then after that, it was nothing but losing. Yeah, it was all downhill from there. That's crazy. Yeah. I did like where he was like, "Have you ever jumped on a grenade?" And he was like, "Yeah, four times." <laughs> My helmet's reinforced. The whole thing. <laughs> Uh, I also got to point out, uh, I think we talked about last week, Henry Jackman is doing the score for this. He also did the scores for Winter Soldier and Civil War. It and shows. He, he, yeah, he used his Captain America theme when John Walker showed up in this. Feels dirty. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> the Flag Smashers settle down into a safe house. As they do, their leader, Carly Morgenthau, the woman Sam and Bucky thought was a hostage, gets a text saying, you took that was mine. I'm going to kill you and find you. In that order. I'm going to find you and kill you. Bro, I'm dyslexic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going to kill you and find you. No, I like the order. I wasn't questioning <laughs> First I'm going to kill you. Then I'm going to find you. <laughs> it could be done. Uh, I'm going to find you and kill you. Whoops. Um the group talks about how big their movement has become and how they have to stop the people who gain power after the blip from winning. Saying the Global Repatriation Council cares more about those who came back than those who were left behind. Chris. Yeah. This this line, it, it stood out for you, huh? It really did, yeah. It's, it's hard to tell exactly what to make of it yet, just yet, I think, because we have not seen much of the GRC. I'm not even going to try it. Uh, uh, we've not seen much of how they uh, how they work, uh, how they operate. And on the one hand, it looks like the flag smashers are striking in ways that are meant to help people, like you know, getting vaccines to blip survivors who are in refugee camps throughout Europe. A noble goal, getting people who need vaccines vaccines, uh, you know, getting them medical treatment. On the other hand, that still ends up hurting people. Uh, and and that line in particular really st- uh, stuck out to me uh, because while I think that we're getting starting to get a little bit more of a sympathetic look at what the Flag Smashers are about, um, it's still this is something that you see. It's human nature. I've talked about this a lot, like in various conversations recently, and now I'll do it on a podcast, I guess. <laughs> uh, but it is a problem of human nature that people are always looking to find a person or a group of people that you can use as an enemy or a scapegoat. Someone to blame for whatever problems you're having, even if it's not a person versus person problem. 
we've seen it a lot over the course of the past year with the pandemic, uh, where it seems like some people just cannot process a crisis unless they can blame someone. Not and not to say that there isn't blame to be handled worldwide about how, how various governments handled the situation as as it started to emerge in in their respective countries, uh, but it's all about looking for an enemy and sometimes this manifests itself as racism uh which we're certainly going to talk more about and because uh, we see some of that in in this show right here uh sometimes it becomes uh matters of class you know pitting pitting different classes of people against each other you know rich poor middle class all of that uh and sometimes it manifests itself through nations and wars fighting each other like that um, you know, tell a story I've probably told you all this in, in real life, uh, but it's something I think about a lot. A moment that really stuck with me from a previous job I had, uh, working at a very popular theme park attraction once. And the way this attraction worked, uh, we grouped people up to put them in the ride vehicle so they could go off and ride the ride. And, th- and that was for fun. But the way it worked was at the merge point in the line, um, there was a set of stairs that had a rail in the middle. So there were like two lines that went up the stairs and you would send most parties up the left set of stairs. However, the way our ride vehicles loaded, uh, it was four rows of two. And sometimes you need to fill in an extra row. Uh, so let's say that you're up at the, at the thing and you've got a party of six people. So they fill up three rows. Now you need one or two people to put in that last row. So what we would do is we would send parties of two up the other side of the stairs. This line always looked shorter because there weren't as many people going down that way. It does not necessarily mean it was shorter. It just looked shorter because you wouldn't go to that line until you needed to fill in a seat. People would see other people going up their stairs and wonder why they didn't get to go up the short stairs. People would say, well, we're six. We're like three parties of two. Let's just send us up that way. Any number can be broken down into smaller numbers, <laughs> first of all. And if you send a party of six up that way, guess what? Yeah, the first two people in your group might only wait two minutes to get on the ride. The last two people are going to wait just as long as you would have if we sent you all up together uh, up the left side of stairs. And you wouldn't. And now you're also not riding with your family. And that's a bummer, too. But it what it said to me was that people can't stand seeing other people get something that they're not getting if they think that they're they're entitled to it or they think they deserve it and that is just such a problem in the real world and that's what i got out of that line personally they care more about the people who came back than the ones who never left now i'm not saying that in this universe where a blip happened you shouldn't care about the people who who were left behind uh by the blip and how their lives have been disrupted by everyone coming back. Obviously, there are a lot of things to keep in mind. But you can't not care about the people who've come back now, too, because their lives have changed in drastic ways. And it's this is a crisis that needs to be dealt with. Of course, there's going to be some kind of, you know, global effort that needs to be done to reintegrate these people back into society after them just being effectively dead for five years. And uh, I guess what it all comes down to is that the Flag Smashers are getting a lot more gray. Uh, 
certainly things that they say you can sympathize with, but other things they say, or it's like you're you're making an enemy out of these people who were victims. You know, the people who got blipped were victims, uh, and and by turning them into an enemy, that that doesn't make them look great. But but it is great. Even Sam kind of points out that that it's easy to label them as terrorists when you're the one that has the resources that are being taken. Um, I thought that line was you know, important. Yeah, and I and, think that line we, will be important for the show. Yeah. Because because then you get the flip side of it. The guy says, you know, people are calling you Robin Hood because you're taking these resources and giving them to these other people who are being denied them. So so yeah, certainly a gray area, but there are some, you know, they're falling for some of the same traps that people fall for everywhere, and that that's that's just where that line took my brain when I thought about it. In Baltimore, attempting to find a lead on where the super soldiers are coming from. Bucky introduces Sam to Isaiah Bradley, a black super soldier who had previous run-ins with the Winter Soldier. Isaiah talks about beating up the Winter Soldier during the Korean War. When Bucky tries to ask Isaiah for information on other super soldiers, Isaiah angrily says he doesn't want to talk about the program anymore and says his reward for being a hero was being put in jail for 30 years and having tests run on him. Telling Bucky... Your people weren't done with me. He angrily yells at them to leave, and they do. Outside the house, Sam yells at Bucky, angry, there was a black super soldier all these years, and no one ever mentioned it. Bucky says he didn't tell anyone because Isaiah had already been through enough. As Sam is seen shouting at a white man in an impoverished Baltimore neighborhood, the police stop by and ask Bucky if Sam is bothering him and approach Wilson as though he's dangerous. One of the cops recognizes them, and they begin to apologize for starting to starting to arrest an Avenger for no good reason. As they start to clear things up, they are told on the radio that Bucky is wanted for missing his court-mandated therapy and politely take Barnes into custody. Uh, were, I think last week, there were some hints that they were going to be talking about some racial topics. I think the bank scene definitely could be interpreted as a racial... Uh, a, a racial scene, but I think it could also have just been interpreted as, you know, money. Like it, it th- there was room there for it not necessarily to be have interpreted as like a something that had to do with race. There's no, uh, thinking about this one, right? There's no, this is definitely their intention in this scene. Peach, you wanted to touch a little bit on that. Yeah. So <clears throat> I don't need to say obviously this is a important set of scenes because. I feel like everybody who has watched this should know that. Um, But I just want to say last week I talked about how this show could perk my ears up a little bit more if they started bringing uh, more political, more social commentary, more more of that sort of thing into the lens. Um, And they, they delivered already with this second episode. It's again, it's interesting to me because Marvel has this, this huge platform. They know how popular they are. Until a couple weeks ago, Endgame was still the top grossing box office film of all time until Avatar took it back. What they do, like put it back in theaters or something? I don't actually know. Yeah, in China, it re-released. Okay. So anyway, so they've got this huge audience and they know that. And a lot of times, it's it feels pretty evident if you pay attention to the world. Um, big companies with huge platforms like that, they don't 
really want to take a stance because in the end for them, it's about money. If I don't take a stance on anything, I get money from the left and I get money from the right and I get money from the middle. I don't have a political stance. So everybody sees me as neutral. So I'm, I'm okay. And I don't like that. I, I like when companies decide to make statements and, and talk about things that are difficult to talk about. These three little scenes in a row are really important, starting with the one that like plays itself as a joke. But um, when they're walking down the street and they walk by the two kids hanging out and the kid's like, oh, look, it's the Black Falcon. And Sam is like, what? I'm the Black Falcon because I'm black and I'm the Falcon. I guess that makes you black kid. <laughs> like It comes off as a joke and it is funny, but I choose to believe that that is also kind of a jab at people that create black superheroes and just put black in front of their name so that we can more quote un more easily identify them. Um, I, I like that jab. I think that is necessary. And then obviously the scene with Isaiah followed by the scene of the cops just deciding to interfere because they see a black man and a white man talking sort of emotionally in the middle of the street that that's their whole basis for pulling Sam over. And they don't even listen to either of them when both of them say, we're just talking. Even Bucky tries to say, we're just talking. And they don't stop until they recognize him as a celebrity. It literally takes them to recognize Sam as a celebrity in that world before they back down. And I think that Marvel making a decision to bring that sort of sort of social awareness, given they, they have a huge audience, is really important. And it highlights real problems. Even though this, this show is a work of fiction based on another work of fiction, there are very real problems being highlighted here. And, and people need to know about them. And I, I think that that's really important for, for their audience and for them as a company to say, as Marvel, we've always taken a stance on racism and equality and, and been allies of these communities. But we're going to keep showing it because it's still important. You know, Black Lives Matter yesterday, they matter today, they'll matter tomorrow. And we want you all to be aware of that. So I just found that really important. And I'm glad that they're, they're going to seemingly continue on this theme in the show. Um, I don't think that's going to be the last scene we see in this light. So, No, I, I mean, I would probably garner the, or get a wager that it's going to be a theme throughout the entire series, something that we see all the way up until the very end, something that, that these heroes are battling with. Um, you know, a lot of the greatest works of fiction take things that are happening in, the, in, in, in real life and kind of put them on a, a grand stage uh, of sorts. Um, this is going to be a really weird uh, comparison. Uh, but when I was, I think I was like 16, my girlfriend in high school broke up with me. I was very sad. And the movie that kind of coped me through that breakup was a movie called Forgetting Sarah Marshall. <laughs> and it was about this man who dated a woman who was a famous movie star. And she breaks up with him at the very beginning of the movie. And he kind of is like getting over her through the movie. And because she is a movie star, she's everywhere. He's like on a flight and she's on the in-flight video. He goes to like some Hawaiian hotel that she talked about once and she just happens to be there. He talks about how he had like a cereal box 
or like a cereal container on top of his fridge and he couldn't stop thinking about her because she got it for him because he would always like leave the cereal boxes open and it would get stale. And I think what good art does is it takes a situation that you're familiar with and it magnifies it and puts it on a grand uh, scale and it makes it easy to relate to. Now, this isn't necessarily an easy thing to relate to for me because I haven't had this experience. Um, But I'm sure that for a lot of people, this is... Uh, a similar experience is something that they've been through. Um, and this idea of what it means to be an American, what it means to be a symbol for America, and why that symbol for America has to be a specific way. Uh, I, I'm really excited for them to kind of continue on this train and really kind of hammer into what we consider to be um, what an American should be. Uh, because I think that's been a problem for a very long time and i think we are hopefully coming around to the other side of it as we continue to grow um as like an as a nation um so i hope that this series kind of i hope they go twice as hard to be honest with you Mm -hmm. i want them to really dive into it i can't the last thing i would want is for them to kind of start this and then kind of have it fizzle out and it becomes something else like if they're gonna do this they need to really do this yeah i hope they know that I, I wanna I wanna have faith that they know that too. Like they're not just gonna dip their feet in and say, Okay, we did our we represented. Now we're out. I hope right. they keep saying, No, this is important. You need to know it's important. Please please memorize this. Yeah. Like take it to heart. I think it's uh a couple things. Uh one thing that really stood out to me in that scene was the cops turning to Bucky and saying, Is this guy bothering you? They instantly defer to him. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a little obvious, but I mean that's also realistic, unfortunately. Um, another thing, uh, so the Mighty Ducks TV show just premiered on Disney Plus this week as well, and I saw an interview with Emilio Estevez, and he felt like because uh, it's set in Minneapolis, and of course while they're filming, while they were filming the show was when uh, the George Floyd. Uh, you know, death happened and and all the follow from that. And Emilio Estevez felt very strongly that they should address that on their show. And he was shot down by the Disney executive saying, look, people are coming to Disney Plus to forget these things. Uh, so we're not going to do that. And it's just interesting seeing that that's what he got told for that show. Well, this show, the very same week, is dealing you know they're in baltimore which has its own checkered history with uh with race relations and police brutality and and things like that um uh because you know there was like the um you know however many years ago the freddie gray uh killing when he was arrested and and died in in the police van so so I mean, th- th- there's a reason that this scene took place in Baltimore too. I mean, there there's definitely some resonance to that, and it's just interesting seeing these two shows. One where they were told, "No, we can't do that because we're escapism," and then the other one where you know, a lot of people look at Marvel as their escapism, uh, their escape from reality. But they're at least as of right now confronting these issues head on. Uh, so it's just an interesting contrast. Interesting to read that Emilio Estevez interview the same day that this episode came out. I also don't like that argument. I don't like the escapism argument. I think one art is subjective. 
two, this is still technically a fictional world, so you can still technically escape in the world. It is just a little darker of a world and maybe mirrors our world a little more. I don't necessarily agree with this idea that um, because you don't want to think about what's going on in the real world that you would like to watch this work of fiction and kind of forget. I understand how that can be useful to cope with certain things, but I think especially for something like this, it is important not to kind of hide from it and to be uh, to kind of put it out as, as front and center as possible. I would go one further and say everything you just said is correct. And also my, I'm going to assume that this show is still going to give us a fairly happy narrative and a happy, happy ending. And to me, what's better. So, so if you give me something that touches on a relevant real world issue and then uses, you know, because superheroes are ex- escapism. I'm not going to argue with people who say they aren't escapism, and I know you're not saying that either. Um, or I know you're not arguing with them either. Um, but if you give me superheroes conquering, you know, real-world issues that are actually uh, relevant to us, to me, that is even better. That's Rather than taking me out and trying to pretend this isn't a thing, you've shown me a, you know, granted, a fictional universe, but a universe where those things actually get tackled in a way that is we'll see but maybe satisfactory maybe somewhat you know i don't think they're going to be able to tie everything up with a nice bow and say racism doesn't exist in the mcu anymore y'all like i don't think that's what's coming Mm -hmm. but i think we're going to get a fairly um satisfying take on you know what the 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 very difficult issues that y'all have already expanded upon and to me that is um absolutely better like that that's sort of the uh i don't want to say middle ground but i don't know what better term between pure escapism let's pretend racism doesn't exist and you know something that's you know gritty and really going to remind you of what's going on like say the wire this show is not the wire um i I think this is i feel a good way to handle it while still being popcorn entertainment yeah. You know, a lot of people say they don't like their movies, their TV shows to be political. But I think you could argue that all art is political in one way or another, some of it more overt than others. And I think a lot of people just don't notice the politics until it's politics that makes them uncomfortable for some right. reason. I'm not saying anyone is wrong to be. I mean, you're. I think you're supposed to feel uncomfortable when confronted by uh, things like this, uh, issues like this. And, and I can get how maybe it'll get you out of left field if you weren't expecting it. I, I was expecting stuff like this, and I will say that this police scene, as soon as the sirens started blaring, I tensed up more than I have watching many other Marvel things. I was, mm-hmm. you know, it was giving me some real world, you know, scares, I guess. But, you know, it's like when people complain about Star Wars now and say, oh, Star Wars just has a political agenda. It never used to be like this. It's like, well, go back and watch that again. Go back and watch the original <laughs> Star Wars. Maybe read a little bit of what George Lucas said uh, and read up on his thoughts on like Vietnam and the Richard Nixon and, and things like that and watch the original trilogy again and tell me it's not political. It's fantasy, it's fairy tale, it's science fiction, but it is definitely told with a, Lord help me, a certain point of view. And uh, <laughs> Robbie just gave me a death glare. <laughs> but... Well, yeah, it's it's there. It's just and 
I guess the more of a fantasy or sci-fi veneer you put on it, the easier it is for maybe people to miss it. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you start confronting it explicitly, like they have in this and, you know, in many other things, that's when people are like, oh, you're just shoving your politics down my throat. And I'm not saying that there aren't plenty of movies and TV shows that have dealt with political themes in incredibly clunky ways uh, to the point where it did become more about the message than the story they're telling. Uh, but that's just, I think, a failure on the storyteller's part because you can deal with complex issues in a way that is still engaging uh, from a story standpoint. Uh, the the addition of political commentary doesn't automatically make something quote unquote preachy. And it can be a good gateway for people that haven't tried or just for some reason don't understand the underlying issue quite yet. I don't want to lump people that, you know, we just want escapism into a group, but yeah, you know, we're not saying that you're like a white supremacist if yeah. you just want escapism. No, we're yeah, not, I'm not yeah. saying that, but I also think that that for in some way that statement sort of makes you sound very privileged. Like you just want your escapism. You don't want to have to know about these other problems. I don't think I'm going out on a limb here when I say, I think the people being disadvantaged by the problems that that things like this talk about also don't want them to be happening. So that's why talking about it could be important. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I'm not disagreeing with what you said. I'm just adding my own thoughts as we're talking about this. Yeah. And, you know, if, if this is the gateway people need to become aware of these issues, if, if it helps somebody become aware, that that's a good thing. I also don't like the idea that something is political to begin with, right? Like good stories just in general deal with issues of morality and they deal with teaching lessons and things like that. And the only reason this is political at all is because there is a group of people that disagree with this, Mm -hmm. right? It's not political to me because to me, it's a very clear lesson and it is fact. The only reason it is political is because there is another group of people who disagree with this. They are the ones that make this political, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's, not, uh, it's not even like... If we were telling a story about um, a man stabbing a woman, let's say, and then there was a really popular case about a man who just stabbed his wife, would that suddenly become a political story, right? Like, would you scoff at that one too? I don't believe you would, right? So it just... I think social issues uh, tend to be the hot button topic when we talk about things being political and I'm putting air quotes on there because there are things that people don't want to discuss because they don't necessarily agree or believe in the social issues. And that's when they don't want to talk about them. Yeah. I, I agree with that. It it shouldn't be, I know I have just participated in calling it politics, but it shouldn't be called politics because it's, it's a lack of understanding or care for social issues. Right. Like to me, it is not. It is not political. It is re- one reality, and mm-hmm. two, it is. Uh, it, it's the truth of, of of what's going on in our society today. So it is uh, important that we kind of embrace this thing and don't try to be like, well, we don't want political stories because all this is trying to tell is a story. Uh, you know, like any other story tries to tell, right? It is trying to, especially a superhero story, which kind of puts it on as grand a stage as possible to tell what is right from what is wrong. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that's what like Captain America is all about, right? He's about trying to do as much good as you possibly can. And how can you do as much good as you possibly can while ignoring all of this bad that is happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is kind of like the the of all the Marvel properties, this is the one that has the best opportunity to to put that lens on the camera. Absolutely. And so it's it's like you should maybe expect this from a Captain America story. Like you might not expect this if you watch like a guardians of the galaxy story. I don't know, but yeah. Well, and like, how can you not want a political story in here when Captain America is meant to fight the red skull from the Nazi? Like, I just like, come on. Like, what do you think Captain America is all about, man? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to remember, we've talked about this before, but the very first Captain America cover had him punching out Hitler a year before the U.S. joined the war. The U.S. was technically neutral at that point. That's a political statement. Like, like literally. You know what's crazy is we haven't had, like, anybody... We're, like, preemptively talking about the people that are going to be upset that this is political because we know it's going to happen. We actually haven't had anyone uh, kind of come up to us and be like, oh, this is getting this is going too far, so... yeah. Oh, no, oh, yeah, I've had one. and I don't think any of us Robbie are like... Has. I've had exactly one. <laughs> well... Oh, well... In the station, Sam meets Bucky's therapist, Christina Rayner, and they are also joined by John Walker. God, he's such whoa, a smug whoa. bitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out Walker knows Dr. Rayner and also got Bucky released from jail, telling Rayner Barnes won't be on a strict schedule anymore since they'll be working together. Rainer angrily demands an immediate session with Bucky and also brings Sam in. In the session, Dr. Rainer treated uh, the two like a couple. When they start fighting during her exercises, she asks Bucky why Sam aggravates him so much. Bucky expresses anger at Sam giving away the shield, saying Steve believed in him. And if he was wrong about Sam, then maybe he was wrong about Bucky himself. When I first heard about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier show, this is what I wanted. I wanted this... Bucky Sam relationship when we saw any of the other movies when we've as we've seen any of the other movies that these two have been in it's clear that they butt heads that they don't necessarily agree on anything but the glue that was holding them together was Steve and now that that cap is gone what is going to hold these two together if anything now Chris um it's really interesting because they could have taken an easy way out here, right? They could have. Yes. There's, You can very clearly see some stories about, oh, well, I think I should be Captain America that they could have done. Mm-hmm. But instead, I think they're telling a much more uh, nuanced story. I think it's a much more interesting story. Absolutely. I, the, it's funny because uh, Sam became Cap in the comics in 2015, I believe. But at this point, we'd had two... Captain America movies that were subtly hinting at Bucky becoming Captain America. We had two scenes where he like holds up the shield and you're like, Oh, it's because Bucky was Captain America in the comics. But you know what? They changed course when, uh, when the comics came out and saw Sam Wilson as Captain America, I think they realized, Hey, that's a better story to tell because I, I love Bucky. I don't think he would make a great Captain America. The winter soldier is too haunted by his past to, to become the symbol of hope. And I think that's, I think it's a much more interesting story that we're getting, uh, where it's not 
Steve is my best friend. I should be Captain America. It's I'm not. I'm no Captain America, but you are. You deserve that title, even though I don't like you. <laughs> and it's interesting to see how deeply he really does believe that Sam should be Captain America. That's why he's mad at him. He's mad at him for turning down this opportunity. He's mad at him for turning down this duty that I think he believes he has. And then there is that self-doubt creeping in of Steve believed in you. And if he's wrong about you, he's wrong about me. Because I think that's one of the things that's keeping him going now is like, even after all of the things he did as a winter soldier and Steve still believed in him. You know, I think he trusts Steve implicitly and doesn't want to deal with the idea that maybe Steve is wrong about him and he never will be anything more than a killer. Also, I, I think that he has to trust Sam partially because uh, Sam dropped everything to help Steve save Bucky back when back in the Winter Soldier movie. So, you know, that's his first impression. He's like, I don't like this guy, but he he believed in me because Steve believed in me. So, so there are a lot of reasons that he would want Sam to take up that shield. And, and we kind of touched on this too, how Sam clearly has his doubts about his i don't know if it's his fitness to be captain america or if he's thinking about what will the people think uh you know maybe he's got a little bit of imposter syndrome maybe it's he thinks it's too much for him to take on and and i mean he's also he only just got back a few months ago from being blipped so he's probably got his own issues that he's got to deal with um but we have seen in the comics before, I mentioned earlier, that when Sam was named Captain America in the comics, there was some real-world outcry from people who did not think that was right and that it was, quote-unquote, forced diversity. And if you see that in real-world reaction to a comic book, then certainly you'd expect to see the same thing in the story as well, in-universe. And maybe Sam's like, I'm just not going to deal with that. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting, you know, there's a, a lot going on here. Yeah, I I think this relationship is really the, it's going to be the backbone of the show. Kind of like in WandaVision, w- Wanda and Vision's relationship is the backbone of that show. And in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, watch out now, Falcon and Winter Soldier's relationship is going to be the balco- the backbone of this show. But this time, what are the, the, backbone what the shows that are only after one person going to be about? Wow, you all started talking at the same time. <laughs> I understood none of it. Take that, listener. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a fun puzzle. Uh, rewind and try to figure out who said what <laughs> as many times as you can. Does anybody want to take a turn first in what they said? Because I still don't know what well, any of All I said, said was their backbones are real in this show. I said, what and if are going to be the backbone of what if. <laughs> oh, and I said, what's what's going to be the point of all the shows named after only one person? <laughs> so none of us had a good point. I disagree. <laughs> she Hulk is going to be about joke. how it's a she and it's a Hulk. Oh, the, the she uh, Hulk is going to be the backbone of the show. So does that make all little girls she girl? <laughs> what? No, it's Hulk. It was a weird tie-in. No, it's Girl Hulk. Girl Hulk, sorry. She Girl. (laughs) It was Black Falcon, Black Kid, She Hulk, She Girl. I don't, I don't know. Just I get where you're going with that. Thank you. She bop, be bop, we bop. (laughs) Yeah, I think this relationship is important, and I think 
it'll be interesting to see how we move forward. I think by the end of this, we get Falcon as Captain America. I'm really interested to see what Bucky's role will be by the end of this, because we know that Sam is headed towards Captain America, but where does Bucky fit into all of this? Um, because he's already Bucky himself, right? Like he is Bucky Barnes, but wh- where else does his character have to go? Um, and, and, and who does he have to be, right? To sort of atone for all of the things that he's done. Maybe there is a world where they both become Captain America. And they are Captain America rather than it being one person. Captain's America. Yes. Captain America. North and South. Yeah. Uh, Bucky learns to speak Portuguese. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, I, th- I think there's a lot of really cool and interesting things they can do. But I do agree with Chris. I like that they are not taking the easy way out and just doing the I should be Captain America. No, I should be Captain America thing, you know? Because I think that would have been the most predictable way they could have done it. And I think that would have taken away from these other messages that they're trying to send about social awareness that we've just spent some time talking about. I think that would kind of undermine it if the two of them were warring over the shield. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You'd have audience members taking sides too. Like, oh, I like Sam. I think he should be Cap. Oh, I like Bucky. I think he should be Cap. Oh my God. I don't need anything else that makes people think they should make teams. I would yeah. hate, I don't want a team Bucky, team Sam. I don't need team anything. I'm tired of people assigning teams to things that don't. Were you, were you team Edward or team Jacob? Yes. I vividly remember <laughs> um, when we all worked together, our workplace had this thing. I can't even remember what it was, but you were supposed to choose if it was for Civil War. You're supposed to choose if you were team Cap or team Iron Man. And I vividly remember one person asking another hey, are you Team Cap or Team Iron Man? You get to choose. And the other one goes, why are they fighting? And the first one goes, I don't know, but I'm Team Cap. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I just don't understand the point. I don't know. (laughs) Sam says he did what he thought was right. The two agree that they need to deal with the Flag Smashers, then never see one another again, and angrily leave. Oh, never see each other again. Well, that was a lie. (laughs) (laughs) Outside the precinct, Walker continues to ask Falcon and the Winter Soldier to help him. Wilson says Walker has too many rules of engagement, so it wouldn't make sense to work together. Walker, Walker angrily tells them if that's the case, then to stay out of his way. Like, you can tell he's gonna be a bad dude Mm -hmm. because of how much they tried to make him a good dude at the beginning. Because of how much they talk, he's like, I just need to, I'm just trying to be the best I can, blah, blah, blah. But then, like, little things kind of come out, and I feel like it, like, is becoming more and more clear that he will be a not good dude, regardless of the comics. I think it's interesting you say that, because I don't, I don't think he's going to be a bad dude. I think he's going to be an annoyance who's in the way and not particularly good at being a hero. Oh, I full stop agree with Eduardo. I I am, I am a... Hey, I'm hashtag Team Eduardo. Hell yeah. <laughs> I think you're right. I wanted to talk about it with my other point, but I, well, I get just there. following up with what you said now, I think he has almost too much of a relatable story until this exact moment where he says, all the other things that he does so far are very Captain America-like qualities. Things he says and does. Him throwing the shield to protect Battlestar from landing on the ground. 
you know, him in the very beginning saying he's just trying to do his best. He didn't feel like he needed to be picked for this, that sort of thing. But this moment right here where he says, stay the hell out of my way is a very opposite Captain America thing. So do not mistake. I am not saying I think he's going to be like Captain America. I just don't think he's going to be the evil villain of the show. I don't think he's going to be the villain of the show. I, I don't even I think, think he's going to be I don't even think he's going to be a villain. I, I'm, I'm leaning more towards Robbie's point here. I think he's going to be an Ooh. obstacle. Yes. Yeah. I, and, and I think it's going to be very clear that he is not a man who should be Captain America. Yes. Um, but that doesn't mean that he can't be a force for good in the long run. I, and I think it's going to be interesting dealing with that right. from a, uh, you know, a perspective of having someone who's very different from Steve Rogers, you know, trying to be a hero. Right. Uh, a line that I thought that we, we kind of glossed over is when, uh, in that locker room scene at the very beginning, Battlestar uh, says to him, uh, and I wrote it down, he goes, you can't just punch your way out of problems anymore. And that implies that in the past, that's how he's dealt with problems. Mm-hmm. He's punched his way out of them, uh, which is not necessarily... A Captain America trait there, uh, so yeah, it's going to be interesting. I and and I think he's going to be a very unlikable character, oh, yes. oh, probably yes. intentionally. Doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be bad. Yeah, I'm. Going- I, I would not be surprised if they have to reluctantly team up in the end, but he's going to, you know, give up or lose the shield in one way or another. Because I mean, there's no way the show doesn't end with Sam Wilson as Captain America. We've already seen. <laughs> trailers with sam throwing the shield right, right? like that yeah. is i'm uh, we also saw hulk in wakanda though so that's good also point true. good I point trust issues yeah i'm definitely <laughs> going with unlikable obnoxious uh not real hero who's going to be an obstacle and learn a lesson just not as far as bad dude yeah i'm gonna spider-man far from home ruin this plot for everyone later so i'll tell yeah. you why you're wrong <laughs> soon just i like, know what i said earlier but but we tweet at actually, us are you team Peach Wardo, or are you Team Krabby? Krabby. We actually figure out Far From Home. We were wrong about most of it. We don't know that yet. We could have been right the whole time. They're playing the the long time. This is the surveillance stork of a full movie. Back in Munich. Also, you say on the stay out of my way line, just a quick aside, he doesn't actually think he'd win a fight with these people, right? Like, he's... I know he's arrogant, but he can't be that stupid to think that if he actually decided to get in a fight with Bucky and Falcon, it would I, go well for him. I don't <laughs> I know. I think, think that. I think he's better than we think he is. Like, he's, like, been trained. Sure. He's been, like, in the armed forces for years. It's clear he's proficient with the shit. Like, I think he is a much better fighter than we've been given, like, room to, like, think. Because both Bucky and Falcon get their butts kicked by the Flag Smashers as well. So it's not like he did anything different than what they did. Sure, but Mm -hmm. one of them can fly and one of them has a metal arm, so who gives a shit? He's got the shield! (laughs) Yeah, they all have some sort of flashy tech. Battlestar can swing from the helicopter. Yeah. (laughs) I boiled it down to the stupidest bucket I could have. Flashy tech. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, back in Munich, as the Flag Smashers load a plane, they are tracked down by what they call the Power Brokers men. One member of the Smashers hold off several armed agents and is gunned down while the rest escape. Carly Morgenthau, 
Am I saying that correctly? Morgan I think so. Can be seen in tears as the plane takes off. And a man in a suit angrily watches. Who would like Who to go first? Both suits. Peaches and Robbie have some things they want to talk about about the power broker. I'm going to set him up for his spike. All right, go for it. So, okay. Um, service. Uh, okay, so I heard this line, the, the you know, the power broker. Um, and uh, initially just, you know, hey, there's some sort of business dude behind the scenes. And then as the episode ended, I started thinking power broker, power broker. I know I've, like, that's a Marvel thing. Like, there, that is, there is the power broker. And then I did my rewatch. And also, and uh, Peaches said he encountered the same thing. On my rewatch, I have closed caption on. And on closed caption, the power broker is all capitalized. And so I knew that power broker was not just something, some name. It, there is a Marvel villain called the power broker. And I don't think I've ever read a comic with the power broker, but I'm pretty sure I have read comics that reference him. Um, and I'm pretty sure those are probably 80s comics that included U.S. Agent. Uh, and oh, the power broker, you know, or readers, the power broker did this and this. So the power broker, we're, we said last week with Flag Smasher, we're getting some deep cuts in this show. Uh, we continue to get deep cuts with a supervillain who is a businessman with, uh, who employs a mad scientist to give out... Th this is actually a cool concept, but not used very much. Who uses their science to hand out special abilities and essentially use that to create addicted superheroes that they can use. Um, depending on the story, sometimes it's used for their own nefarious gains. Like, I need you to go do this thing for me. And remember, I owe you because I gave you your powers. And other times, I'm not joking... It's to make a wrestling league out of superheroes. Uh, so, but this is noteworthy because the power broker is not just some obscure Marvel villain. As I started going in, you know, I first just confirmed to myself, I'm not making this up, right? There's a power broker. There is. What I did not know until I started researching the power broker is he is most notable for handing out powers to one John Walker and his friend creating, uh, at the time, uh, Super Patriot, eventually Captain America, eventually U.S. Agent, and his sidekick, Battlestar. Uh, they got their powers from the Power Broker. Um, and he's also uh, probably the most frequent, before Sam was was Captain America, he's probably the most frequent or closest thing Falcon has to an arch nemesis. Because um, Falcon really doesn't really do his own thing that much, so he doesn't have his own nemesis. But uh, when he gets side stories, it's to fight the Power Broker. So... I'm assuming none of that's a coincidence, and this is the villain of our show, is the Power Broker. I am also going to guess that somehow ties into, or will tie in, tie into John Walker's story, um, if he is, maybe it's just going to be a loose nod, like in the comics, they were connected, and they're connected in the show too. Maybe it'll be as deep as he gives him powers. Um, I don't think they have powers yet, but it's entirely possible they already do have powers, and uh, we'll go back and discover that that's been going on. My guess is more likely, um, and I'll get, leave some of this to Peach, but I'm going to bet he and I are on similar pages except for our interpretation of John Walker. Um, guessing the power broker has been, uh, has found the super serum and the uh, flag smashers stole it. Somehow John Walker is going to get engaged in that as well. And that is our, along with, I guess, Zemo, um, our villain. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to make sure to bring that up. Last week it was, hey guys, flag smasher is a real thing. Also, Power Broker, established thing. We are going, we are not coming up with original villains, which 
actually delights and entertains me. We are going with deep, deep, deep 1980s Marvel supervillain cuts to create our uh, villains here. Uh, Peaches, where do you think we're going with this? Yeah, so listeners, skip ahead if you don't want the entire series ruined for you, because I'm like, <laughs> I'm like so confident on this one. Okay, so this is why I think John Walker is going to be a bad guy. I don't think he's going to be the bad guy. I think he's going to be a bad guy. I think Power, Bro- you're right, Power Broker probably is the underlying mastermind villain of the show, um, which, like Chris said earlier, puts the Flag Smashers in a gray area because they are both fighting for a cause, also being supplied powers by the power broker. Um, So this is what's going to happen. This is the plot of the John Walker plot of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. He gets painted as this guy who uh, doesn't feel like he should have been chosen, right? Like we're led into thinking like, oh, this man's so humble. He shouldn't have gotten this, blah, blah. He's, He's really struggling to find his footing, whatever. By the end of the episode, he says, stay the hell out of our way. What's going to happen, some plot device is going to happen where he and Battlestar have to take down something. They have to they have to fight some enemies. They have to whatever. And he's going to fail. He's going to fail because, yes, he is a... He has a lot of awards. He's a very accomplished person. He's athletic or whatever. But he, at the end of the day, doesn't have any superpowers. They they talk about that in this episode, that he's, he's not Iron Man. He's not Dr. Banner. He doesn't have superpowers. He's just a guy trying to do his best. But for him, that's not going to be good enough because he is going to be concerned that he's being put on the spotlight, in the spotlight, and he's not performing the way he wants to be performing. So he is going to make a deal with the power broker to get super soldier serum. And in the process, he's going to be indebted to the power broker. And then he is going to have to fight our heroes because he is owed something to the power broker because i think we now have set up literally three bad guys here's the crazy part i don't think he'll stay a hero but i think zemo is going to operate in a hero capacity for some of this show i think they're going to need some help from him somehow because zemo took down five uh, super soldiers albeit they were asleep in a cryo chamber but he knows a lot about them. He's knowledgeable on super soldiers. So I think because of his shortcomings, John Walker is going to make a deal with Power Broker. He is going to end up enhanced, and then he's going to use those abilities in ways that contradict how he is currently being portrayed. Sorry for ruining the show, everyone. <laughs> I forgive you. There's a lot of thought <laughs> happening right now. I agree now. with like 90% of that. And maybe I'm surveillance storking again. But what am I if not a surveillance storker? I definitely you know? don't think this is a surveillance stork situation. <laughs> no. Well, I felt this confident about Spider-Man Far From Home, like you said earlier. So, <laughs> But I'm still not giving up on that. <laughs> what was that? That was Chameleon that you thought it was, right? Yeah, we, it was we were Dimitri certain was is Chameleon. chameleon. Yes. But we don't... Dimitri could still be Chameleon. They could bring him back and go, hey, remember that character we introduced in Far From Home? He's still relevant, bitch. It's just so weird. It's just so funny to me still that you were all in on Chameleon and then you get to the very end of the movie like, by the way, they were Skrulls. <laughs> yes. Like... Yeah, close enough, right? <laughs> yeah, you were in the neighborhood. <laughs> I agree with Peaches. I think, uh, I think we are going to get U.S. Agent being a bad guy. I think he will be a villain. 
I don't think he will be the type of villain we think. I think he will be a villain in the sense that sometimes the U.S. government is a villain in the Marvel shows. Like, I don't think he will be like a, I want to destroy the world villain. I think he will be more of a, we need to control and consolidate power because we're the greatest country on earth. And sometimes that's bad kind of villain. Yeah, actually, you saying that just reminded me of another thing other than the stay the hell out of my way line that's very telling of him being shitty is every time he mentions or someone mentions the U.S. government, he points to himself like, I am the U.S. government. Like, yeah. I am the Senate. I think yeah. and... some, sort of, um, some sort of military dictatorship, and he yeah. uh, ends up becoming like, you know, the general of the nation or the, the captain of America. Whoa. Slow down there, cowboy. <laughs> All right, he keeps being like, I am the... And I remember last week, I did say that there was... This was leaning more towards the military propaganda side, and now I am thinking it's the opposite, and it is leaning in the not military, not good propaganda I side. I have a very, very lame reason that is part of why I disagree with you on that, and that lame reason is they clearly got the cooperation of the U.S. Army to make this show, which makes yeah, me think that fair. they're not doing that. Fair. Yeah, they will not. Per- if I they portray them in too negative of like the government, right? Will be I am like, no, looking at it from the how the sausage is made mm-hmm. standpoint, which is incredibly think, not entertaining. But I think that's lame in the sense of it sucks that you'd only be willing to help us if we paint you in a good light. Not in the sense that that's your belief, because I think that's probably really smart. Well, I just I'm just saying that that's it's lame to be uh, fan theorizing based on objective realities of how you get u.s military cooperation in your filmmaking yeah yeah it's it's the kind of lame of like knowing that this character is not going to die because he's contractually obligated to appear in three more films that kind of lame Mm -hmm. Mm. also uh aaron kellyman is the one who's playing flag smasher um Mm -hmm. is she basically just gonna end up being her character from solo (laughs) yes so yes yeah. Yes, already had that thought. And uh, I'm sitting when I was sitting and watching it next to my wife, and she showed up. I pause it and I go, oh, "She's." And then I realized that not anything in Marvel already. I'm thinking of Star Wars, and then hit play again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to watch Solo again because I spent half that episode going, "Is that Enfys Nest? It looks like Enfys Nest." Yeah, <laughs> I'm like it is. So I need to revisit that one. As they leave the police station, Bucky reasons that when Isaiah said your people, he meant Hydra. Bucky says they have no leads and need to talk to someone who knows all of Hydra's secrets. Sam at first protests, but then agrees, okay then, we're going to go see Zemo. A classical opera plays as the episode ends in the Joint Counterterrorist Center in Berlin with a shot of Helmut Zemo playing chess alone in his cell. I... (laughs) It is a good ending, but once again, it does not feel like an episode. Like we didn't have, this did not have a beginning, middle, and end. This right. was another kind of. It's part two of parts of six parts, right? Right. We've gone for our bathroom break, and they kindly paused the movie for us. Our bathroom break is a week long. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, and why do we a lot of cheese? It, oh God. <laughs> Don't say that. Uh, no. Or do? Who cares? Um, <laughs> I love, I love the stubbornness of lactose intolerant people. I do. I, 
I think it's part of it is like the American in me being like, you don't get to tell me what I can and can't do. Not even my <laughs> own body gets to tell me what I can and can't do. I mean, I get it. I'd probably be the same way. It's anytime I think about losing weight, I just kind of think about, but like I live once and food is delicious. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, I think it is a six hour movie. And I think personally, maybe I'll, I'll disagree with this at the end of the show. If it is a six hour movie, I think they would have benefited from just releasing all of it together. Like, I don't think having it be episodic is helps the show right now. Whereas WandaVision, I thought it was very helpful because of all the theories and because of the, the way that they were doing it. I think it lent itself more to an episodic format, but I don't think this does. Yeah, I agree. With I that. agree. I already solved the plot in two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think WandaVision. So when when the Mandalorian season one came out, I actually saw I saw this exact same conversation multiple times on the internet, which is which was this is this is great television. This is us watching it week by week and then discussing it with our friends, and it's keeping it alive. And and then people saying Stranger Things should have done this, and then inevitably some other. Someone else would say, no, Stranger Things was a 13-part movie. It needed to be released all as one chunk because it didn't lend itself to, all right, that was a good episode. And I absolutely, I absolutely think those people are right. I think The Mandalorian, when it's out, and WandaVision as well, they completely dominate pop culture because of the episodic structure. But I don't think that necessarily means that other shows would do the same. Um, Stranger Things is just so popular that it probably still would have dominated the summer if it was released episodically but i completely agree with you that shows like that and shows like this don't necessarily lend themselves to that sort of release format well and you gotta think about the the format as well and like how we got to the point where we needed episodic formats to be successful right like think about like cable right when you're creating a television show for cable somebody could be tuning into episode 32 of your show and they've never watched another episode. So that episode needs to be engaging because it's going to make them want to continue watching your show and watch any of the other episodes. Whereas if you are on something on like Netflix, you're starting at episode one because that's where you need to start the show, right? You don't start at episode four to see if you like the show and then go back and watch the first few episodes. It's not luck of the draw like it was with cable. You just happen to tune in on a random Tuesday and they're playing this one. Well, if I want to watch the show, this is where I have, you know, I think there might be something to be said about the, the literal coronavirus. Like I think if, as opposed Maybe. to the figurative coronavirus? Yeah, the figurative the figurative coronavirus coronavirus had nothing to do with I this, but the, the literal one figurative. I, I decided to say coronavirus after I changed my sentence mid okay, whatever. The point is <laughs> I think if we weren't in a pandemic, maybe they would have released this one in chunks because right now I feel like and that might sound crazy, but I think they're trying to tide people over. There was you know, all of these date pushbacks from all these Marvel shows. And they've again, just like Chris predicted, they pushed back Black Widow again a little bit. Um, all of the, not all, but a lot of the order of the shows coming out changed. I almost feel like they just want people to keep thinking about them so that when things feel a little more normal from a movie release standpoint again, that they can hop back in. Because it seems to me like this would have been a show that they could just drop all at once if they had everything on a regular schedule, you know? I wouldn't like bet money on that because maybe they planned on doing it this way all along, but it feels like 
if we were not experiencing a pandemic, they easily could have said, here's all six. Have a good time. I, 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 I agree with you in principle, uh, yeah. because I definitely think that this is a show that, while I, I think it works fine weekly, it is definitely adding up to a bigger whole as opposed to like one. I mean, WandaVision had a great overarching story, obviously, mm-hmm. as well, but it really lent itself well to the episodic weekly format, um, if only because of the whole sitcom conceit of it, especially in the first half of that series. And I do think it's interesting that Netflix has announced that they're going to start doing some shows weekly. Uh, they're going to start experimenting with that, uh, which is a major change for yeah. them, with the exception of like the Great British Bake Off, which they only do weekly because we get it a week after it airs in in the UK. Yep. Um, They've been I doing it it's... with some anime as well. They've already started like some of the yeah. anime, like they had the most recent season of Attack on Titan is on Netflix, and they come out with that episode every week. Yeah. I think it's entirely that water cooler talk keeping your your show in the zeitgeist thing, which I think is something we didn't necessarily think of when Eduardo's correct as to why we went from spacing it uh, spacing it weekly and needing to make sure that the episodes were contained and going to the binge format and not considering that. He's completely correct on why we went to that. And I think we kind of, uh, and, and by we, I mean not us, I think think um, producers kind of didn't, didn't think about that keeping your show relevant to the zeitgeist, getting people to talk about your show thing is harder when you have a binge mode because, okay, maybe I can't talk to Eduardo about it because he's only watched one episode and I've watched the whole yeah. series. And now we... I had that issue with Stranger right, Things. Disney Plus has brought us back into this world of we all watched Falcon and the Winter Soldier this weekend. Now we're going to talk about it at, on our lunch breaks at work and you know we're going to talk about it when we're, when we're getting ready for our meeting to start or... You know, and we we know that we're all caught up because there was only one new episode, and we get to talk mm-hmm. about what this episode was and where this episode was going. Like this podcast we're doing, if we were, if this was in a binge setting, I I do actually for the same reasons Eduardo said, I do wish I could have just watched five hours of this over the weekend and be done, like because of the way it is structured. But that would have made this pod podcast not as easy to do. And also, I mm-hmm. think not as good because part of what's making I think this I hope this podcast good and successful is because we're sitting here talking about okay, Zemo's going to be the good guy, right? No, you're insane. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's true. I wouldn't be able to say a stupid thing like right, that, right? There, and also, the with a binge there. mode, there is no surveillance stork because we know that stork was nothing. Yeah. It's sure, yeah. And, and for this, we're digging into individual moments of these episodes right. deeper than we would get a chance to if we were just doing an overview of the entire series. Everything that happened in episode one would have been like two blocks on the outline of this episode if we were doing the whole series. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think it's fine for it to be a, a six-hour story for pacing terms because, again, they get to go into deeper character-building moments, some more thematic stuff. I do think that it, and we discussed this last week, that I think this is going to be a show that we look back at the whole and go, that was good. Uh, And, you know, we're already feeling better about the show after this week. But this is a show that if it did drop all at once, I would understand why they made that choice. I think financially, I get, I think Disney Plus for their biggest shows is just going to be doing them all weekly anyway, because they don't want people signing up and then dropping off after the free trial or whatever. Uh, So if you have to make someone hold on to it for six weeks as opposed to uh, just a weekend, then, you know, that's better for them. 
you know, until until they have the output, and you could argue that Netflix puts out too much stuff, <laughs> because I'll hear about shows that are on their third season, and it's the first time I've ever heard of this show <laughs> with Netflix. Uh, Disney Plus has not had that issue just yet. Uh, it could certainly get there eventually, but proposal netflix and disney plus go back to the old netflix model which some listeners if you're younger might not even believe this exists where <laughs> netflix would send you a cd uh-huh. y'all know what a cd is they'd send you a cd dvd blu-ray whatever it might be of the thing you wanted to watch you'd watch it you'd put it back in the slip and you'd send it back mm-hmm. but they do that for falcon and the winter soldier <laughs> or whatever other things Everyone's waiting at the mailbox on Friday. Oh, is my Falcon the Winter Soldier here yet? (laughs) You know, they still do that. They offer that still? Yes, Mm -hmm. they do. That's kind of wild to me. I guess for people that somehow can't stream, like if they just don't have an internet connection. That's how Daniel watched Speed Racer. Remember he was talking the other day about he watched Speed Racer? Oh, he he had them send it? Yeah. Because oh I, I, I think it's not streaming in any of the services that he has. Yeah, there so. was... Recently, it? It's DVD.com, right? Yeah, yeah. We only a few years ago canceled the physical portion of our Netflix service because we there were films that weren't on the streaming but were on the discs. And we'd get those sent to our house and watch them and send them back. And I, I want to say it was in the last three or four years that we canceled that part of it. We are blowing someone's mind right now. Someone is listening and is like... These guys are crazier than I thought. <laughs> it's it's that uh, sure grandma. It's that that me. <laughs> yeah. I I just recently watched the like last blockbuster. I think I talked about this last week as well, but the last blockbuster yeah. uh, documentary, and they talk about how blockbuster had the chance to buy Netflix for like three million dollars, and then they didn't. Good job, good effort. Mm. Ooh, hindsight, tough, <laughs> real tough. So going forward, where do we think this stuff is going? I mean, like, I think, I think this episode was significantly better than last week's. I found myself like audibly going, "Oh wow, I like this a lot more." Like as I was watching this episode, whereas last week I kept being like, "All right, now when is this gonna pop off?" Or like, "When when are we gonna get to the?" And I don't necessarily mean action. I just mean like, when is the thing that's gonna pique my interest to come in? And I think it happened here in this episode. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think we already talked about a lot of our... It's interesting, this episode, I feel like, was mostly about our predictions for the future, so this is just going to be summaries here at the end. But completely agree, This I'm now all in on this show. Uh, this episode completely brought me in, was wildly entertaining. So I'm, I'm, I am I'm know at the end of last week, we all kind of agreed that we're, we're going to watch the next episode, but we're not, like, chomping at the bit for give us the more, give us more. And now I am, now I'm... I'm completely impatient to see Zemo and see where everything is going and see more of um, Sam and Bucky interacting. Uh, and I think we kind of now see what the show is going to be, which is, you know, a, a love hate buddy cop relationship with some uh, dealing with some social issues and some uh, government overreach issues, maybe. And also some good classic MCU actions. So uh, what, what I'm interested in, and I think we kind of figured it out is where the villain was going to come from. Like as this episode went on, my thought was, okay, but who is the villain? Because okay, the flag smashers are maybe not doing, not everything they do is great, but I think their ends can be considered uh, somewhat um, uh, something you can, you can empathize with a little bit. 
Uh, and I am very, I, as I already said, I don't think John Walker is necessarily a bad dude. So I don't think he's necessarily the villain. I will not go as far as agreeing with Peach that Zemo is going to be a hero, but I think they're going to get something useful out of Zemo. And then my actual guess is that Zemo ends up somehow twisting things to be to his benefit. Maybe he twists U.S. Agent or the Flag Smashers, or um, but in some some way, I, I can definitely see Zemo liking, like looking at the Flag Smashers and saying, yes, that, that, but then actually making it a criminal organization instead of, uh, you know, moving vaccines for camps of refugees. Uh, and then, of course, we talked about the power broker. I'm guessing he is the main villain in this. Uh, and we'll see, or a villain is, I don't know. I'm interested to see where the villains go. I just, I don't think, I think Zemo is going to be helpful, but not actually be a hero. And I think Walker is going to be a hindrance, but not actually be a villain. Uh, so that's where I'm going with. What about you, Chris? Well, I, I got to give credit to Danny for this observation. I think Zemo's going to be the Hannibal Lecter of the MCU. Uh, I like, like that. If you've ever seen Silence of the Lambs, he's already in jail by that point. Uh, but he is the criminal that the hero has to turn to to get information. Right. Uh, and to get insight into the minds of the people that they're trying to catch. And it's been that like, like that in several stories about Hannibal. Uh, so having Zemo as sort of that role is going to be interesting. Uh, I don't know if he's going to take the Flag Smashers for his own because he doesn't like superpowered individuals. But, you know, maybe if he thinks that he can control them but that was the whole swerve in civil war is that we thought he was trying to get an army of super soldiers and he really just wanted to kill them all uh, so he could break up the avengers but yeah i'm going to be very interested to see what what they do with zemo going forward but i already the role that it seems like they're setting up from already very interesting i'm into it uh also i think we kind of lost over a little bit but the exchange where he calls him white panther and he goes Actually, it's White Wolf, and <laughs> Sam's like, "What? Um, are we going to see him embrace the White Wolf identity? Maybe, you know, maybe he's not going to want to be known as the Winter Soldier anymore. But the White Wolf has a better connotation for him, so that would be kind of cool. Also, also, I'm going to go way out into speculation land here for just the future of the MCU. How about the Young Avengers? In WandaVision, they're missing right now, but we got Wicked and Speed." who are both members of the Young Avengers. Uh, we know that we are getting Kate Bishop, Hawkeye, in the Hawkeye. We know that America Chavez is going to be in Multiverse of Madness. We also know that, or we can assume, that by the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, Cassie Lang is going to be a superhero. They've aged her up. She's going to become... She's had a couple names in the comics, but... We also know that Kang the Conqueror is going to be the villain of Quantumania. Uh, and where there's Kang, there is Iron Lad, also a member of the Young Avengers. Iron Lad, very confusing. I'm not going to get into that right now, but just know that he's a Young, he's a young Avenger. Any relation to Alan Lad? Uh, no. And he's not related to Tony Stark either, but he's named after Reed Richards' father. Um, he's from the... Okay, short version of Iron Lad, because I brought it up. My fault. He's the... <laughs> Kang the Conqueror is the grown-up version of Iron Lad. Iron Lad's from the future. Kang's from further the future. Kang goes back in time to make Iron Lad become Kang. Iron Lad sees that and says no and rejects that. Ends up going back in time to modern times. 
and becomes Iron Lad. Um, his suit also turned into a new version of Vision at one point. It's weird. Um, Listen, while I'm down, this is where we start losing the MCU's mainstream appeal. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so that so there's a chance for Iron Lad. That's what I'm getting at. And also a member of the Young Avengers is Elijah Bradley, Isaiah Bradley's grandson, Patriot. Who was it that opened the door uh, at Elijah's at Elijah uh, at Isaiah's house? Was that Elijah? Are, is that so. a superhero? Uh, also, um, we, we already talked about Joaquin as uh, as another Falcon. Uh, he's a little bit older than he was in the comics, though. Um, the, the comic Falcon, not a young Avenger. He was actually part of the Champions, along with Kamala Khan and uh, Miles Morales and Viv Vision and a couple other. It's another young superhero team. Um, so I think he's too old to be a part of the Young Avengers, but uh, but yeah, so that's my wild mass guessing for the future. I mean, it certainly seems like the pieces are coming into place that we might get a Young Avengers team. We also have Kamala. Is she a Young Avenger or is she she's just a, a she, Young Avenger? <laughs> she, she's a champion. Okay. She's a champion. So that's a, a different Young team. Gotcha. Yeah. I think the young... yeah, I basically already covered this in uh, in the course of the podcast. I, I just hope that the social awareness themes do continue. Uh, I hope that they continue to use their platform to make people aware of the um, just unfortunate things that people here go through. Um, I think that we probably are not going to see our two heroes apart anymore. They put them together and now the show is the show. Um, <clears throat> I do I do hope Zemo has a good guy moment. And yeah, that's I basically covered it all. So there you go. So ratings, what are we going to rate... Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Episode 2. Robbie, we'll start with you. I am going with 9 Wizards Without a Hat out of 10. Peach? Uh, I gave this episode 8.5 Tolkien references out of 10. Eduardo? 9 White Panthers out of 10. And uh, I gave it 9 soul-gazing exercises out of 10. You mean staring contest? Yeah, those two. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going to do it for this episode of Assembly Required. Uh, if you want to email the show, you can go ahead and email us at assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter. We are at assemblycast. You can follow all of us individually. D underscore peaches for peaches. Gatorsax2010 for Chris. PhilKid3 for Robbie. ABCD Eduardo1 for myself. It's going to do it for myself, for Robbie, for Chris, for peaches. We love you 3000. Bye, everybody. Excelsior. Yeah, I Boobity boobity.